The following audio is from Delta Church in Springfield, Illinois. Our purpose is to proclaim the gospel through the church to a world that needs Jesus Christ. We pray this sermon will aid and encourage your daily walk with Jesus. For more information about Delta, you can visit us online at deltachurch.net. All right, so go ahead and open your copy of Scripture. We are in Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to uh, read here in a moment verses 1 through 4 in Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to specifically dial in on verse 4. So last week we looked at verses 1 through 3, talking about that idea of children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Then we said today what we're going to do is zoom in on verse 4 in particular. So this is Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Then, Lord willing, we will wrap up the book of Ephesians next week as we look at verses 10 through the rest of the chapter. So Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, this is our brother in Christ, the Apostle Paul. He is being carried along by the Holy Spirit as he writes these words concerning the family relationship and how the gospel of grace is meant to influence and inform the way parents relate to children and children relate to parents. Our brother in Christ says, verse 1, children... Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is the word of God. So our sermon title this morning um, is called Discipline and Instruction. Last week it was honor and obey, obedience and honor. Those are the ideas that Paul says should mark out children who are seeking to honor and submit to and obey the living God, God the creator. If they were to say, God, what do you want from me as a little child? Jesus would answer, children, I want you to obey your parents. I want you to honor them. Now, Paul is going to turn um, to parents in general, but specifically fathers in particular, and say, for the father who seeks to honor, submit, obey God, his God, and say, what do you want for me as a father? What does obedience look like for me? Paul says, it looks like you not doing something, and it looks like you doing something. Do not provoke, but do nourish, discipline, and instruct. The main idea that Paul has for us this morning is literally the entirety of the verse. Verse 4, spirit-filled fathers are called to discipline and instruct their children in the Lord. Remember, Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18 casts a very long shadow. It's the command to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then Paul says, Holy Spirit filling looks like this, and he lists off several things. He gets down to verse 21. He says it looks like submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then he says, here are various examples of relationships that Christians have where this idea of being filled with the Spirit, submitting to Christ, submitting to others, what does it look like? Husband, wives, work, workers, and then we've been talking about this relationship, children and fathers. 
So we're going to pray this morning that as we talk, as we think about these things, that our hearts would be soft to the instruction of God's word, that our hearts would be soft to the reality that God is in the heavens and he does as he pleases. There is no one like the Lord our God doing awesome works, awesome wonders, and we want to bow our knee in submission to him knowing that he does all things well, does all things good, does all things right, and he does not set us up for failure when he instructs us in certain ways, okay? So let's pray, then we'll get into the text, which can admittedly um, be somewhat of a sticky text, but it is a beautiful, glorious, Christ-honoring, God-glorifying text, okay? So let's pray, and then let's dive in. Jesus, we need you, and I'm asking for you to glorify your name here and now during this time. I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, to fill, to move, to do within us whatever is necessary to bring us to the place of happy, humble submission to your rule and reign over our lives. I'm asking that you would open our eyes to see our need for Jesus in this task called parenting, that you would open our minds to understand the scriptures that are laid out before us, and that the results of this would be our response similar to the two disciples who walked with Jesus on the road to Emmaus as he opened their eyes to see himself and opened their minds to understand the scriptures, their response was, did not our hearts burn within us as he said these things? So God, would you have a mighty and impactful moment among us this morning so that the trajectories of families would be altered for the better as a result of happy, humble submission to your word. It's in the name of Jesus Christ I pray these things. Amen. So often the last things that people say are the most important things they say. We recognize this, which is why we have that phrase, famous last words, right? We don't always maybe recognize that these will be someone's famous last words, or maybe we recognize that someone is just very close to death, and, and they're saying things that are of importance to them, and so you just know, man, we need to pay attention right now because there's some famous last words being spoken. Some examples of this would be, um, if you remember um, in uh, events related to September 11th, 2001, United Flight 93, before its crash, there was a man named Todd Beamer. If you remember, he was on the phone and basically saying, hey, man, this thing's about to go south. And his famous last words were, let's roll, before the phone was hung up and they went, they went and tried to help people on that plane. Some famous last words that maybe people didn't realize would be famous last words were the last words of Martin Luther King Jr. Moments before he was assassinated, he turned to his musician who was going to play a song that night, and he said, Ben, make sure you play this song, Take My Hand, Precious Lord, in the meeting tonight. He said, play it real pretty. He walks outside, and then he's assassinated on the balcony of that hotel. Or maybe if those aren't familiar to you, my hunch is that you're familiar with these famous last words. If you want to go even further back in history, it'll be the famous last words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Moments before his ascension into heaven, you have what we call the Great Commission. Go into all the world baptize, make disciples, teach. These are famous last words of Jesus. 
Now, we may be familiar with those kinds of famous last words because it's Jesus after all, but we may not be familiar with the idea that there are some famous last words that close out the Old Testament. And you're like, okay, the Old Testament, famous last words. Like, what, what, is, he, what is he talking about? Well, if you remember and you go into the Old Testament, the Old Testament and the way it's ordered in our Bibles lands and ends with the book of Malachi. The book of Malachi eventually comes to the place where in Malachi chapter 4, verse 6, God says something before he goes on a 400-year hiatus of silence. There's that intertestamental period between the last things of God speaking through the prophets in the Old Testament and then the events of the gospel. Now, you're probably racking your brain going, okay, what were those famous last words? I mean, like right out of all the things God could have said, I mean, is he going to land the plane before 400 years of silence by talking about the need to remember the Ten Commandments? Is he going to give five tips for better biblical living? Is he going to say, hey, guy, this sin thing is just really serious, like don't do it? I mean, like what is God going to say? Well, what surprises us is when you go into Malachi chapter 4, verse 6, God does none of the above. God actually gives a word about fathers. Malachi chapter 4, verse 6 closes like this, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Boom, prophets are done 400 years before the gospel events begin to unfold. Now, it might feel a little weird of like, really, like a word to fathers? Like, what's that about? Like, why are those the famous last words of the Old Testament? And I think the reason is this, God knows what he's doing. And he knows that in these 400 years of decided silence before the gospel events that have been foretold with throughout the prophets and throughout the Old Testament begin to unfold, he knows that the way hearts of children are going to be turned to fathers and the way fathers are going to have their hearts turned to children, the way fathers and mothers are going to be called to, as parents, call children to remember the Lord God, remember the commandments, remember the need for salvation, remember the sacrifices, to look forward to that coming prophet, that coming Messiah who had fulfill all the hopes and promises, that will be rolled out generation upon generation upon generation upon generation through the fathers owning the responsibility to instruct and discipline their children in the instruction and the discipline of the Lord. Someone's got to own responsibility for it. And in God's ordering of the family, the one who owns it is the daddy. It's the daddy. So more than just an odd or abrupt ending, Old Testament, Old Testament, Old Testament, hey, by the way, just remember that stuff about fathers having hearts turned to children, children's hearts turned to fathers. That's not an abrupt ending. It's not an odd ending. God is doing something in saying this. He is calling fathers in, this, in that moment then, and he's calling fathers in this moment now to rise up and fulfill their God-ordained purpose to be men who pursue God intentionally, and teach their children joyfully so that the next generation might know God. And then that generation might rise up and tell that generation so that they might know God, know his commandments, and ultimately set their hope in God. That was part of our liturgy this morning from Psalm 78. And it's in this vein of fatherly responsibility that our verse exists this morning. While it's true, as I said a couple of minutes ago, that the truths of this text apply both to fathers and mothers, you can't escape the fact 
that Paul decidedly chose to address fathers with these particular commands. I want fathers to realize that they have a lot of power to provoke and they're not to abuse their God-given authority in that way. Fathers have a lot of power to be able to nourish their children, discipline their children, instruct their children. And it's to be done all under the banner of obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. So now what we need to say is that as a parent, fathers are to operate with a God-given authority in the family. So why fathers? Why the emphasis on fathers? It's not just because someone somewhere said, you know what, moms stink, dads rule, dads need to be in charge. It's not the way it goes. It's this way because God has granted this authority within the family for parents to be that authority over the children, but the leader of that dual pair, that mom and that dad, is to be dad himself. It's a God-given authority to be the leader within the family. And the purpose of this authority is not so that the dad can come and rule with some iron fist running roughshod over his family. That is an abuse of the God-given authority that any father has. The purpose of this God-given authority in the family is to function in such a way that fathers ultimately point to God the Father. And the way that they love, and the way that they cherish, and the way that they nourish, and the way that they discipline, and the way they instruct, and the way that they serve, and the way that they pray, and the way that they care, the way that they self-give, the way that, way that, way that, way. All of it is so that when people within the family and neighbors look around saying, if you want to see a picture of what God the Father looks like, you can look like this spirit-filled daddy right here. He has given you an example of what God the Father looks like. And so as we said last week, both fathers, parents, and children, they fall under God's authority. In our families, under God's authority, Paul has delineated in these verses that a child's role is to honor and obey their parents. That is how they ultimately honor God. And now, as we said in verse 4, what we're going to see is that a father under God's authority, their role is to nourish, discipline, instruct. This is Paul's point when he says there in verse 4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up, he says, bring them up. So a great question that every father can ask themselves is this, what specific sins in me provoke my children to anger? I don't think this is an issue of some dads in here like, I've never provoked to anger. And there's some of us are like, I provoke all the time. There's these two disparate, like far um, realities on either end of the spectrum. It's more like when, have, when was the last time you did? Not, not if, but when. And Paul's saying we need to be aware that one of the temptations for fathers is to use their God-given authority to come in such a way to their children where he provokes them to anger. He brings them down. He doesn't bring them up. You see, we need to ask ourselves this question, fathers, because a father can abuse this authority. 
He can provoke his children to anger. There are times when we are harsh with our children. We're overly demanding with our children. We are impatient with our children, indifferent to our children, unloving to our children, uncaring to our children, and on and on and on the list can go. And in those moments when daddy is operating in that way, the result after repeated things like this happening can be children being provoked to anger. Instead, says Paul, don't use your God-given authority in this way, but use your God-given authority to nourish your child. Nourish your child. That's the idea behind the phrase, bring them up. Bring them up. Paul just used that word back up in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 29, where he said, listen, guys, There are those of you who nourish their own bodies, and so he says, husbands, the way you need to love your wife with a nourishing kind of love is the way Christ has loved the church. You don't go around hating your own body. You do whatever it takes to nourish your own body. That bring up, nourish is the same word. So now he's saying, daddies who are husbands, Jesus is your model, Look to Jesus the way Jesus loved the church. That is to be your model for the way you love your wife. She is part of this two becoming one, this this oneness there, that body. You don't hate your own body, so why would you hate on her? And then Paul says, now look at your children the same way that you modeled Christ by nourishing your own body. That's the way that you're to nourish your wife. You are to do the exact same thing to your children. So much like someone takes the time to eat right, work out, exercise, nourish, cherish their body, Paul says, dads, make every effort to do the same with your sons and daughters. So what does this nourishing look like? The two words there that we're going to guide our two points this morning are the words discipline and instruction. First, fathers nourish their children in the discipline of the Lord. They nourish their children in the discipline of the Lord. That's verse four, you just see it there. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline of the Lord. So the command here is for a spirit-filled father to nourish his children by way of discipline that points them to their need for God. That's the point of discipline. Discipline isn't a opportunity for dads to vent anger. It's not a way for dad to have some sort of release valve because he's frustrated with the way little Timmy has been acting up. Discipline him. That's not the point. The point of discipline is nourishment for the child. That's how you love your little child. This is a mandate fathers are called to obey as they submit to their heavenly father. Notice this isn't in the language of if you want to. This is in the language of command. Fathers, Bring them up. That's command. How should we bring them up? Bring them up in the discipline. It's a responsibility that fathers have. What this means is that God's mandate for fathers to nourish their children, bring up children in the discipline of the Lord is ultimately tied to God's agenda for the family. It's not tied to a dad's agenda for his family. Far too often as daddies, we can have unbiblical agendas for our families especially when it comes to this idea of what discipline looks like. But Paul is saying God has an agenda for the family. That's why you're to look to God and say, what is your agenda for the family? Because I want to be obedient to you. And so a spirit 
child father who disciplines his children is a father who is actually functioning on God's behalf. In other words, fathers are like ambassadors who represent God and his ways to his family. So what you have in a spirit-filled earthly father who says, Jesus is Savior, Jesus is Lord, I want to imitate God. God, what do you want me to do? What is your agenda for the family? Because I want to be obedient to you. I want to serve you. God says throughout the scriptures, here in particular and other places, this is what it looks like to imitate me so that as you imitate me and, and to your children, to your wife, whatever it might be, People should be able to look here and see a godly representation, someone in a sense acting on behalf of God in the way they nourish, discipline, and instruct. So in this sense, this idea that fathers are like ambassadors who represent God and his ways to his family, in this sense what we can say is that this is how fathers obey the command to be imitators of God and walk in love. Go back to the beginning of Ephesians 5. Do you remember several weeks ago when Paul said, rounding into verse 5, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. So the question is, we should be asking, well, how do I imitate God and walk in love as a follower of Christ? How do I imitate God, walk in love as a wife? How do I imitate God, walk in love as a husband? You can keep going down the list here. He's showing us. Paul is literally saying, this is how you imitate God. This is how you walk in love, walk in light, walk in wisdom as it relates to marriage, as it relates to work, and now as it relates to families. And he's getting uber specific with daddies right now and saying, brothers, this is how you imitate God and walk in love towards those around you, especially your children. Just as God the Father loves his sons and daughters enough to discipline them, so earthly fathers are commanded to do the same. Daddies, this is how you imitate God and walk in love. The writer of the book of Hebrews connects these two ideas beautifully. The ideas of godly imitation and loving discipline When he says in Hebrews 12, verses 5 through 8, it's what we read earlier, again in our liturgy, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. Listen to what he says there in verse 6. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. Listen, God is treating you as sons, he says. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Now, there's some other verses that continue this train of thought. And even in these verses before us, what we can learn from these verses is a lot. We can learn a lot, but at least one truth is this. Biblical discipline is an expression of love. Biblical discipline is an expression of love. Many parents lack a biblical view of discipline, thinking of discipline as a way to punish children if they do something wrong. It's just merely a form of just a way for a parent to get get their own or they see it as some form of revenge for wrongdoing. I told you not to do it. You disobeyed, 
you did it, so now I'm going to show you how wrong you were. But that's not biblical. Biblical discipline always expresses God's love. And earthly fathers imitate God the Father when their motive for discipline is love. The other thing that we can say, stitching together those ideas from Hebrews 12 and this verse here before us this morning is this, is that we can say is that biblical discipline, though, it is corrective. So biblical discipline is an expression of love, but it is also corrective. And that's because discipline is intimately tied to that idea we introduced last week called the circle of blessing. If you remember that from, from the verses 1 through 3 last week, specifically the promises that Paul gives in verse 3 to children who obey and honor. He says, listen guys, remember, it'll go well with you and you will live long in the land. Circle of blessing. You will live within the realm of this blessing when you walk in this way in obedience to God's will for you as a child in a family. For children who honor and obey their parents, they can know the blessing of well-being, the blessing of safekeeping. But we said last week, when a child says, I know what God wants of me as a child, I know what dad and mom have asked me to do, I will not honor, I will dishonor, I will not obey, I will disobey. When that takes place, children put themselves outside that circle of blessing, the place where it will not go well with them. They will not live long. The place of opposition to God's will, the place where they are walking in opposition to God's good path for their life, the place that will eventually lead to death if the heart attitude of dishonor and disobedience, not merely to parents, but ultimately to God, allows to be remained unchecked in that heart. It will lead to death. It will lead to death. You see, God's word clearly states that every human being is, Psalm 51, brought forth in iniquity and in sin. Having a heart that is, Jeremiah 17, 9, deceitful and desperately sick. So what this means is that the problem at the center of it all is that our children are sinners. Yes, even the cute little baby right now sitting on your lap. Surely not. The Bible says that is the case. At the heart of this little child, if there are things that allow, are allowed to remain unchecked, they will fester and grow into a lifestyle that will result not only perhaps in physical death because they make poor decisions that actually harm them, but it will, without a doubt, result in spiritual death and the detriment of their soul. You see, this is why God says in the book of Proverbs, if you want to know sort of like the Old Testament shepherding a child's heart, right? We all are in love with shepherding a child's heart. You know, that book's great. A lot of us love that book. Um, the Old Testament saints, you know, didn't have that book, but what they did have was the book of Proverbs, and the book of Proverbs is phenomenal at driving us to the heart attitude that should be the motivation of parents to their children and the heart attitude that should be of children as it relates to this parent-child relationship. 
So because we are brought forth in iniquity and sin, because we have a heart that is deceitful and desperately sick, because at the problem, the center of it all is that our children are sinners, that is why God says in the book of Proverbs, the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. If that child is allowed to remain a wanderer on the path of dishonor and disobedience, that is a wide path that will lead to their destruction. And the call for parents, and in particular the call for daddies, is to be the leaders in the home that help little Timmy and help little Susie understand this wide path that you love will lead to destruction. And so God has called me to be one who leads with reproofs, who leads with discipline towards you because the reproofs of discipline are the way that will lead you to life. Your child is in danger if he is rebellious and disobedient. Physically, perhaps, spiritually, without a doubt. And God's method to move your child back into the safety, back into the blessing of obedience to God is for a spirit-filled father to lovingly employ God's means of discipline. Something the Bible encapsulates. It's a real big thing and we can't touch on all the caveats and the aspects of it right now. That's why I would recommend to you some of the books that I recommended last week that have chapters and pages on understanding the nuances of it. But there's a little phrase the Bible uses to encapsulate that tool that God has called spirit-filled fathers to lovingly employ as the means of discipline. And that's something the Bible calls the rod. The rod. Now, when this idea of what I just said, some of us are a little triggered right now. Many are resistant for any number of reasons to this idea of the rod. It carries all kinds of negative connotations. And it carries negative connotations for good reasons. Because their experience growing up was they were abused by a daddy who wielded the rod in a sinful, devilish, satanic sort of way. Just used the rod to beat the tar out of them as a kid. Or some of us have children who were abused. If maybe we're adopting or fostering children. Some of us maybe have experienced discipline that was just merely the venting of anger and frustration. Daddy would come home, everyone had to walk on eggshells because daddy was just in a mood, and if the slightest thing did not go his way, what did he do? He reached for the spoon, and he just waylaid the kids. A lot of us said, if that's what the rod is, if we had a daddy who was even remotely religious and he said, that's what God calls me to do, a lot of us have said, if that's what the Bible is about, I don't want anything with that. And I would commend you, you don't want anything with that because that is abuse. And that is not what the Bible is talking about when it references the good gift of the rod and the call for mommies and daddies, daddies to lead out in the realm of discipline. So it needs to be said, again, examples like these, if we've been on the receiving end of these distortions, we need to call them what they are. They are distortions. They are not God's path for us. But as it relates to biblical discipline, I think what you need to understand is this. According to God's design for the rod, the function of the rod is rescue. This is so important. It's rescue. Remember, if your child lives within the circle of blessing, 
honoring, obeying, that's where they will find well-being and safekeeping for a child to act in sin and say, I will not honor you, dad. I will dishonor you. I will not obey you, mom. I will disobey you. And it's almost like they pick themselves up in that moment because of sin and its temptations and its pleasures. They remove themselves out of the circle of blessing where it no longer goes well with them, where they will no longer live long in the land for a parent to just sit over here and be like, well, you know, some people make bad decisions in life. No, the heart of the parent is, I don't want you to live beyond that place of danger and unsafety. And so God says, no, listen, lovingly employ this tool that I've given you so that you can soften their heart to see their sin of dishonor and disobedience ultimately against God and nourish them back into the place where they will know the blessing of the living God for their lives. That's why I'm saying the function of the rod biblically is rescue. It's a rescue mission. It's not dad going, yeah, man, you made me angry. I'm so frustrated with you just laying into him. No, it's the heart of a daddy weeping, worried that if he lets this thing fester in the heart of their child, that two-year-old becomes a five-year-old, becomes a 10-year-old, becomes a 15-year-old, left unchecked in the ways of dishonor and disobedience against God, we've seen it before. We've seen 14, 15, 16, 17, 18-year-olds. You're just like, what on earth is going on there? There's a decent chance that they were never instructed, disciplined, shown that that is the place of danger. That's not the place of safety over there. The writer of Proverbs says, do not withhold discipline from a child if you strike him with a rod he will not die if you strike him with the rod listen you will save his soul from sheol translation rescue in god's infinite wisdom he has ordered it so that when a calm listen when a calm controlled spirit-filled father So a father who says, my child is acting foolish and disobedient, he utters this prayer, God, fill me right now with your spirit because I need to go have a gospel conversation with my son. I'm not going to go in there and fly off the handle. I'm not going there in the heat of the moment. I'm going in calm. I'm going in controlled. I'm going in prayed up, asking for the empowering restraint, the empowering of the spirit to be able to speak gospel truths. In God's infinite wisdom, he said, when a daddy is calm, when a daddy is controlled, when a daddy is filled with, the, filled with the spirit, and he goes into that little child and instructs them on how they're dishonoring God, disobeying God by dishonoring and disobeying mom or dad, and that father then applies, listen, a tactile demonstration of the foolishness of sin to a child's posterior... This discipline humbles the heart, opening the door for instruction. It humbles the heart, opening the door for instruction. Listen to what God explains. He says, the rod and reproof give wisdom. Rod and reproof give wisdom. But a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Perhaps you've seen it before. 
the look on a mother's face when you're out and about in Walmart or Target or whatever, and you can just see that child acting with dishonor and disobedience to the mother, and the mother just has a, a burdensome look of shame because her child is just off the rails. Or maybe you've seen it with, with a daddy before. Without training, children will act foolishly, which is why, again, the writer in Proverbs says, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. And remember, we got to remember, ultimately the rod is an expression of love. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. So fathers are to nourish their children in the discipline of the Lord, but they're also to nourish them in the instruction of the Lord. This one will go a little bit quicker here, this idea of instruction in the Lord. I think it's important to notice that daddies aren't just called to go around disciplining. It's the one-two one reality, discipline and instruct. Discipline sets up the heart to receive instruction. So it's a combo. It's intricately tied together. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, he says, but bring them up, nourish them, instruct them in the Lord. So Paul isn't divorcing this concept of discipline from instruction. The picture he paints is a spirit-filled father who teaches and disciplines for God's glory. So as we talked last week, it's the parents' role to train their children to obey, but that is not the only training they're to receive. Children need instruction. God has wired our little ones from the go to be sponges that soak things up. Folly is bound up in the heart. Sometimes children can just be silly and we need to say, no, like according to God and his ways, this is good, this is bad, this is right, this is wrong, this is what God, God wants from you for his glory. And again, God's call is for fathers to lead their homes in the instruction of the Lord. Our children need to be taught the good news of Jesus Christ the gospel should be on the lips of a daddy in the home, pointing them as sinners to their need for Jesus, repenting and believing every single day. There will be times of warning that require counsel from God's word. There will be times of warning that come from intentional instruction. There will be times of training that come from spur-of-the-moment opportunities to confess sin, repent, believe, look upon Jesus in faith. This Jesus-centered instruction can take place during set times of family worship that is led by dad, praying with your children before bed, dads. Sometimes this instruction can come from doing something like this, a daddy just saying, our family will gather with the saints on a Sunday morning, period. Children will glean instruction from their dads as he gathers the family and makes the gathering of the saints on a Sunday morning important. As they sit there and sing, see their daddy singing with joy songs of worship to Jesus, your little children are doing this. And they're learning something about what it means to be a worshiper of Jesus. When you open your Bible and set it on your lap and you listen to a pastor like me blow hard on something like this, your children are looking over and they're going to eventually one day make the connection like the pastor is speaking about what God wants and it's important for my daddy to say this thing right here is where we hear from God. They are going to learn something about that. Taking of the Lord's Supper, daddies, do you know that when we take of the Lord's Supper, this is a primo opportunity for you to share Jesus with your children? 
Don't just take the elements and be quiet. Instruct your family. This is a beautiful 30-minute set of instructions. One, two minutes. Talk to them about the blood and the body of Christ sacrificed so that we might have a right relationship with God. Dad, the pervasive opportunities you have to bring up your child in the instruction of the Lord are ultimately encapsulated in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 7. Moses says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Listen, you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. That's just all-encompassing. Every moment is a teachable moment where we have an opportunity to point our children to their absolute need to repent and believe in Jesus. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So think about all we've talked about. Some of you right now are like, oh no. Like this is weighty, man. And it is weighty. There's so much to learn. Man, every dad here would say there's so much room from growth. Even Pastor Tom, the elder elder, some of you might think he's got it all buttoned down. Do you, brother? Do you got this baby buttoned down? (laughs) Negative. But you know what Pastor Tom does, and I've seen him do it before as he's still learning to be a father to his two daughters, is this. He praises God for his grace in parenting Dads, listen, we have unparalleled influence in the lives of our children. Unparalleled influence. Fatherhood is a privilege given by God that comes with the power to impact lives for eternity. Think about that. If you have children in your home, God has given you hearts that can be molded by your nourishing discipline and instruction to where you point them towards their need for a savior every single day. You have this privilege. God has given it to you to have the power to impact their life for eternity. Now, you can't save your child. You're not Jesus But Jesus has said, Father, I have crafted this familial relationship so that the way you nourish, the way you discipline, the way you instruct, what you can do is get down to your little child and go, but Jesus, Jesus, let's learn about Jesus, let's repent to Jesus, let's confess our sins to Jesus, let's sing to Jesus, let's read about Jesus, let's gather with people who want to do the same things in regard to Jesus, let's scatter and go tell people about Jesus. Those things on repeat day in and day out, will mold the heart of your child and shape them and point them towards the eternal life they can have and know in the Lord Jesus Christ. Daddies, we have that privilege. And my hope is that for every one of us here this morning is that we would count the cost of what it takes to do this because every dad here knows right now everything I've just said feels impossible to do with consistency in our own strength. But brothers, the cost is worth it. To be a God-glorifying, Christ-abiding, spirit-empowered man who leads his family spiritually, it will cost you time, energy, effort. It'll cost you denying yourself. 
Because there will be times when you want to go do you, but you won't be able to because you've said, I'm going to glorify God, abide in Christ, and by the power of the Spirit, I'm going to have to say no to me so I can say yes to shaping the hearts of my children and pointing them to their need for Jesus. But to be honest, too many men are just outright selfish. They know the cost and have decided that it's not worth it. So brothers, you might be here this morning and feel like you've blown it with your children. You may feel like you have waited too late or that you have made too many mistakes. Perhaps right now you're hearing me talk and you are just paralyzed by past guilt and you are paralyzed by present fear right now. But brothers in Christ, let me tell you this. By God's grace and the Spirit's enabling, it is never too late to start doing the right thing right now. It is just not. It's the enemy and the accuser of your soul who is whispering in your ear right now saying, bro, you have blown it. Bro, your apathy and your passivity cannot be recovered from right now. The way that you should have been doing these things and you chose not to because you were selfish, Jesus doesn't want you. Every single one of those lies Those temptations is from the enemy himself because he knows the power of a spirit-filled daddy to influence his hearts for Christ. And he doesn't want you to walk in that way. So he's going to try to accuse your soul right now that you have no hope of going forward. To that I say, no. No. By the Spirit and his enabling and by God's grace, it is not too late to start doing the right thing now it is just not god's grace is greater than your guilt god's grace is greater than your fear god's grace is greater than your sin god's grace is greater than your apathy god's mercy is more his mercy is more and today our living god can give you a fresh start in the grace you need to change dads we don't have time to talk on this now our time is gone but that's what this is right here Hopefully you got one of these on the way in. If you didn't, there is a stack of them on the way out. For some of you, you've just never been discipled to know what does it look like for me as a daddy to be a daddy according to God's word. That's what this is about right here. A job description for dad. Love God, point one. Love your wife, point two. Love your children, point three. And if you want help in knowing what this is about, the man who's dedicated his life to this is sitting right over there. Raise your hand, Tomo. That's his job. That's what he does. His full-time job is to help daddies figure this thing out. And we as a church want to help you. So if you're in that place going, yeah, man, sign me up on that list, we will bend over backwards to help point you in the right direction so you can walk in a way that brings much glory and honor to Jesus. All right, let's pray. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray these things, trusting in you, trusting in your ability to equip us by grace to walk in a way that pleases you as daddies, daddies who nourish, daddies who discipline, daddies who instruct all for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in your name, Jesus, that I pray these things. I pray for my friends the fellow dads in here, that we would be men who say, I need Jesus bad every day as a daddy. I need the Spirit's enabling and empowering his strength every day as a daddy. I don't have this figured out as a daddy. I must trust and rest in Christ as a daddy. 
and that we would walk in these ways fully dependent upon you, Lord Jesus. Help us, God, so that we would have families that ultimately point people to their need for Jesus, not because we're great, but all because of the great Christ we love and live for. It's in your name, Jesus, I pray these things. Amen.